I'm Jonathan Mosen. This is the final Mosen at Large for 2022, the show that's got the blind community talking. There's a serious flaw affecting a good number of ThinkPad X1 Carbon 9th Gen machines. Unboxing and setting up an Apple Watch Ultra and lose yourself in the audio game evidence number 111. Welcome to this, the final Mosin at Large episode of 2022. We are taking a break after this week to recharge, and I'm having my nice long summer break, as is my tradition and the tradition of many in this part of the world. And that means that the next episode, area code, <laughs> episode, <laughs> I'm fixated with this area code thing, episode 212. Because that's a pretty big area code, actually. That'll happen on the 29th of January, 2023. Thank you so much for all of your support over the last year. I've appreciated your contributions. That's one of the things that makes this podcast special, is all of the engagement that we get. And I hear from so many podcasters in various forums that I frequent that they feel sad that they seldom hear from their listeners. I am delighted to say that that is not a problem that I have here at Mosin at Large. You are the best listener ever. So thank you very much for all of your support. Now, speaking of this area code thing, this is interesting because this is episode 211. And 211 is not an area code. 211 is one of those interesting numbers like a lot of things in America that end in 1-1 on the telephone. So let's ask the Siri thing. It'll probably say I found something on the web, but, you know, we try to be an equal deployer of virtual assistants on this show, and we asked the soup drinker last week. So let's ask Siri if it knows. What is area code 211? 21-1 is a special abbreviated telephone number reserved in the North American Numbering Plan as an easy-to-remember three-digit code to reach information and referral services to health, human, and social service organizations. Would you like to hear more? Yes, please. Like the emergency telephone number 911-21-1 is one of the 8 and 11 codes of the North American Numbering Plan. It's sort of fitting in a sad way that this is episode 211 and that 211 is a number that you can call for essential community services because while the holiday season is a very happy time of year for many people, it's also a difficult time of year for others. There are many who miss people who are special to them, who aren't with them for various reasons. Maybe they have died. Maybe there has been a breakup. So loneliness, sadness is real. Sometimes substance abuse can rear its ugly head at Christmas time. A lot of things going on. So maybe that number 211 could be useful to people in the U.S., I don't know whether it works in Canada as well, it may do, to navigate the labyrinth of community services that are out there. And there's certainly no shame in reaching out for help. While I'm talking about company over the holiday season, I do want to give a shout out to the amazing volunteers, the fun guys at Mushroom FM. No one gets paid for this, but they do enjoy entertaining you. They enjoy all the feedback that listeners provide. And we know that we do have a special place at Christmas, not just with the countdown, which is taking place as this podcast is published. So by the time you hear it, it may well have concluded. But around the holiday season, Christmas Day, that kind of period, some people want good music to have on in the background. And I suspect if that's the case, then people will use the streaming music services and perhaps assemble a playlist. And that's great. Other people 
want some company. And that's where Mushroom FM really excels. So do check out the schedule. The fun guys are doing some great things over the Christmas holiday season to keep you company and provide you with some great entertainment. And Merry Christmas, Happy Holidays to everybody involved in Mushroom FM. Very proud of the work that we are doing. I tend to get quite enthusiastic about technology. I love the difference that it makes. And so sometimes when I use a product that I really like, I get enthusiastic about that. And very occasionally, somebody says to me, are you saying this because you genuinely believe it? Or are you saying it because somebody pays you to say it? And of course, this has become an issue just in recent times. Over in the States, a bunch of broadcasters were pinged for praising Google products even when they were using phones of eye, they were praising Google products because they were being paid to do that. So there's a lot of it about, and it's right to be skeptical. We do now, of course, have sponsorship on the show. Internet NZ were sponsoring our transcripts. Now the good people at Numa Solutions are doing it. Happy Christmas to Mike and Matt. But when we have sponsorship, we say so. And even just to be transparent about it, if I get a demo unit of something, and the manufacturer or the developer suggests I keep the demo unit around in case there are updates that I can report on, I say that too. Everything else I pay for. And I do not allow myself to be paid for opinions. That is just absolutely abhorrent to me. And I get that it's easy for me to say and easy for me to do because I have a good job and I don't need the money right now. But if I get enthusiastic at you about a product, then it's because I genuinely believe it. That's my opinion. And even if I'm reviewing a product that someone has sent me and I'm not enthusiastic about it, or I can see some pitfalls in it, then I'll tell you. Like, for example, I got sent but didn't keep a demo unit of the Envision Smart Glasses. And I talked about the need for a mode where you could have multiple accounts on the same device for blind couples who want to purchase a set. And I talked about what I thought was great about them as well. And I'm explaining this as a preamble because I have been talking enthusiastically for the last year since I had it about my Lenovo ThinkPad X1 Carbon. But because that's my opinion, that's my experience, my opinion and experience can change and it has changed a little bit. I go way back with ThinkPads, way back to the IBM days. And I was thinking about this the other day. How did I get into ThinkPads in the first place? And actually, that's because of dear Marlena Lieberg. You may remember Marlena from ACB Radio. We did a tribute to her on the Blind Side podcast when Marlena died. She was a character. She also enjoyed her technology and her Chardonnay and was just a larger-than-life kind of person. And the world is just a bit less exciting because Marlena is no longer in it. So when Marlena was doing her first show, which was called The Blind Spot, and she would also call into my show, which was called Blind Line, and we'd talk about all sorts of things, and Marlene would give that amazing laugh of hers. She actually got me into two things of significance. One was the ThinkPad, and the other was George Foreman Grills. And she was talking about how easy it is for blind people to use George Foreman Grills. So I got one of those as well on her recommendation. So I got my first ThinkPad. It was probably about 2000 or 2001. And they were made by IBM in those days. When I eventually went to work for Pulse Data International, which ultimately became Humanware, they supplied me with a ThinkPad for work. And they were great. 
And the service was good as well. I mean, they were pretty rock-solid, reliable machines, like the ThinkPads of today. The keyboard was brilliant on them. And I remember I got Dr. Pepper spilled on my ThinkPad on a Southwest flight, and I was in the United States, and IBM took care of me. They overnighted me a new machine. It was incredible service. And hopefully you've had the pleasure of experiencing this when something catastrophic happens and a brand just really looks after you and they go above and beyond. And you think, this was such a good experience. I will be loyal to this brand. That's what good customer service means. It breeds loyalty. So I use ThinkPads for quite a while and I don't know why I eventually got a Toshiba laptop. I think they're called Dynabook now. They were also very good, very light and sleek. And then I got my Mac. So I moved away from ThinkPads. When Bonnie was looking for a good quality laptop when she was doing journalism, I thought we should go back to ThinkPads. And of course, ThinkPads are made by Lenovo now. I think we purchased this in about 2016 or so, might have been 2017. And when she got her ThinkPad, the keyboard was as delicious as ever. It seemed to work well for a while. And then something odd started to happen when she was using it at journalism school and it would be plugged in. She would find that even though it was plugged in and charging, and you use the JAWS command, the JAWS key with shift and B, it would speak the battery status. But the battery would start to decline, even though it would say AC connected, the battery percentage would actually start to decrease. And of course, this is the thing when you're the tech support person in your family and something like this happens, it's like people hold you personally responsible. Why is it doing this? And can you fix it? And it was clear to me there was some sort of issue well beyond my meager ability to fix. We bought that ThinkPad from a commercial vendor in this case. Lesson learned because they essentially said, oh, well, this is an Australian model. We'll have to send this away to be fixed. And Bonnie was quite dependent on this laptop. We sent it away to be fixed. It took a long time to come back. And when it came back, it was working for a while. But then exactly the same thing happened. Now, that made me quite nervous. It was not an experience that I thought of as typical, though, because many people swear by their ThinkPads. ThinkPads have a very strong brand loyalty. Perhaps some of that is a legacy from the IBM days, but eventually Bonnie concluded, I cannot rely on this thing. And so we bought her an HP Spectre, and that machine has been rock solid. It's got a nice keyboard. I don't think it's quite as nice as the ThinkPad keyboard, but it's subjective, isn't it? And it is slightly heavier than the ThinkPad but it's a different kind of shape and it's a very good machine. No 5G or even 4G built in though, which is something that I really like in a laptop because you don't have to tether your phone and use your phone's energy. And then when you get a phone call, some odd things can happen depending on where you are and whether you've got voice over LTE in the area that you are at. So built in cellular in a laptop is a feature that I value highly. I have to say that when I got my last Toshiba, now Dynabook, and it was called the Z30C, I believe. It had built-in cellular. It was a pretty lightweight machine. I never had any issue with the hardware whatsoever. But when I got my new job in 2019, the HP Spectre Folio was on special. And so I bought this. It's a really cool-looking leather-clad laptop, very stylish-looking, and it had the built-in 4G, so I was happy about that. Good battery life. 
okay performance for the size of the device. And I was happy. In 2020, though, when the pandemic hit and we were doing a lot more Zooming and use of Teams from home, that kind of thing, I discovered, to my surprise, that the audio level on the built-in microphone was extremely low. It was so low that if you recorded in an app like Studio Recorder or Reaper, something like that, you could barely hear it. You'd have to boost it significantly. Even the automatic gain controls of apps like Zoom were having trouble boosting it enough. So eventually I contacted HP and they took a long time to believe me. But finally, they realized that actually there was a legitimate problem here. I had to send that away or take it into a service center and they changed some board or other and it was all right. But then I kind of thought, oh, well, I'm going to get a more reliable laptop. I don't like unreliable laptops. My Dynabook was rock solid. And the struggle I had actually getting them to take me seriously kind of put me off. So I got the Dell XPS 15. That was a beast of a machine. I mean, it was very, very fast. The speakers on it were almost Mac-like. Of course, it is a larger machine than some of these ultra-portables, so you've got more specs to play with and a faster processor. I did not like how you had to get to the home and end key on that particular model. It was really convoluted. They didn't have the normal function left and right arrow And so people complained about that because apparently that was something that they changed. They may well have changed it back again in more recent iterations of the Dell XPS 15. And then last year, two things happened at once. The first thing that happened was the machine was taking a very long time to boot. You will remember this if you were listening to Mosin at large then. And when I got some sighted assistance, I first called Ira, and then Ira was having difficulties, so I got Heidi to come over. It turned out that the display had completely stopped working. It was kind of just this awful, blurry weirdness, and no one could work out what was going on. Now, the Dell support in that instance was absolutely fantastic. They sent somebody over here and did an on-site swap out of the display. And they said that I had to re-image the system. And so I did re-image the system and everything was working peachy, peachy. So I thought, okay, well, at least that's behind me. And I attributed the long boot times to the fact that the display wasn't working, but it turned out the two things were unrelated. After the Dell man went away, Heidi and Henry kindly agreed to put all sorts of software on the computer for me while I went back to my meetings and my day job. And I wrote them a little list and they kindly agreed to do this. Well, when I got out of one meeting, Henry rather sheepishly said, Dad, it's taking a long time to boot again. And they painstakingly retraced their steps and they found that somewhere along the line, With the automatic updates that Dell does, they had introduced a new Realtek driver that caused the system to take a very long time to boot. They did a bit of Googling and found that a lot of people with this particular iteration of the Dell XPS 15 were having this problem. Some people fixed it temporarily by reverting to the official Microsoft drivers. It sounded terrible on the speakers when you did this, but at least it didn't take over two minutes to boot. But then the Dell drivers would ultimately reinstall themselves and you were back to this very long boot time. 
Now, talk to any number of people at Vespero, and they will tell you that Dell and bad audio issues tend to go together like love and marriage. I didn't actually know this when I bought my Dell XPS 15, so I sold that at a reasonable price as well. And at that point, I decided I'll go back to ThinkPads because any issue that I have had with ThinkPads has been related to people spilling (laughs) drinks on them. I actually lost two ThinkPads in quick succession because just after the Dr. Pepper incident with the one that was replaced, I then had somebody spill beer all over my ThinkPad in the frequent flyer lounge. I could not believe it. And I felt the beer trickling all over the laptop and I said, oh God, not again. So I had to get that one replaced as well. So that's the only trouble I've ever had with ThinkPads. And that is a very long preamble to tell you about what is happening to me as I put this podcast together. I was doing a quick skim of the transcript, as I usually do for Mosin at Large on Saturday, and I pressed my JAWS key with Shift in B, and it said AC connected, battery 85% charging. And I thought, that's a bit strange. Because this has been connected for quite some time, it should be well and truly on 100%. A few minutes later, I pressed it again. I have a terrible habit of pressing that key. And it was going down. It was down to about 83%. I thought, how can it be plugged in and allegedly charging and the battery percentage is going down? So I uninstalled the latest Windows Insider build. I checked with the Lenovo ProVantage software where you can update your ThinkPad and I saw there was a BIOS update and so I installed that and nothing was making any difference. I was getting quite concerned because I thought, well, what happens if it goes down to 0% and I can't charge the thing? So I used my GAN charger to try and charge it and that didn't work. Finally, I plugged my official ThinkPad charger into the other USB-C port because there are two USB-C ports on the ThinkPad X1 Carbon and you can use both for charging even though I'm not sure you are supposed to. They recommend you use the one closest to the hinge to charge the device. But this did charge it and I was somewhat relieved. Having averted the immediate crisis, I did a Google and I found the most extraordinary and disheartening 33-page thread, it may well even be longer now by the time you hear this, in the Lenovo community forum with people who own ThinkPad X1 Carbons having exactly this issue. They can be merrily using the device for a while and then suddenly it stops charging with one of the ports. What then happens apparently is that soon after, often the second USB port starts exhibiting the same behavior and then you are really in soup creek because you can't charge your laptop. So when people call Lenovo, they get a response that's similar to, oh yes, we know about this and we'll do a system board replacement for you. Now, those who know my background know that I have done quite a bit of hardware product management and I know that you can get a bad batch. And that sometimes these things happen. And if you do a replacement of a defective system board, all should be good again. But that is not what has happened to many customers. Many people have had their system board replaced and got their ThinkPad charging again, only to find that within a few months, the same problem occurs. And there are some people who are now onto their third replacement. There's a couple of people in this forum who say they are IT professionals and have bought large batches of the ninth generation Lenovo ThinkPad X1 Carbon. One guy said he bought 50 units and around 20 of them have failed with this problem, which is an extraordinarily high failure rate. 
for such a critical issue. One person, after having, I think, three board replacements, went into full-blown rant mode and insisted that they replace his X1 Carbon 9th generation with an X1 Carbon 10th generation. I guess we have to assume that that will fix the problem. So far, the problem hasn't recurred since he's upgraded to the 10th generation. So I have got the big contract. When I bought the ThinkPad, I had so much confidence in ThinkPad products that I thought this laptop really should last me a good long while. I paid extra for the on-site service contract so that if anything did go wrong, they would come over here and fix it. And you are supposed to get that done next business day so you're down for as little time as possible. That contract also includes one free battery replacement because those batteries, the lithium-ion ones, deteriorate over time. And that contract has a little under three years to run. So I called the premier support number for Lenovo for ThinkPad customers who have this high-end servicing contract and you can speak to someone 24-7. I called on a Saturday morning, so in this part of the world, they were closed. But I got talking to somebody in the UK, and he was really friendly. And I said to him, look, as long as we don't talk about the Cricket World Cup from 2019, we're going to get on fine. And he sort of laughed and agreed we wouldn't talk about that. And I said to him, look, we've got law in New Zealand called the Consumer Guarantees Act. And under that legislation, a product has to be fit for purpose. And I said, when I look at that 33-page screed on the Lenovo community forum, and I see how many people have had X1 Carbon ninth generation devices that have eventually failed. And bear in mind, I've been using mine for a little over a year now, and this has just happened to me now. I said, it's not really fit for purpose. You've got some sort of defect there. And if I could have some assurance that replacing the system board was going to be the end of the matter, I would definitely live with that. But I'm not assured about this because I'm seeing so many people who are having multiple board replacements just so they can charge their computer. This is an expensive, high-end business device. And it's right that people should be able to depend on them. I don't want to get into a pattern of multiple board replacements for the next however long I've got to go in my contract. So would you consider replacing the ninth generation with the 10th generation device? And he said, that's well beyond my ability to authorize, but I'll make a note that that's what you're asking for and somebody will get back to you. I let Monday go by and by 5 p.m. New Zealand's time, I hadn't heard from anyone. And remember, they're supposed to do next day servicing with the contract that I have. So I call the Lenovo Premier support number back and I quote my ticket number and I say, this is the conversation that we've had. And they said, oh, yeah, sorry about that. Because you called after hours and got somebody in the UK, that's why it hasn't been picked up yet. And I thought, well, that's pretty dodgy. It's supposed to be an international tech support system. You're supposed to be able to call 24-7. You shouldn't be penalizing me for having called on a Saturday, which is what I pay the money to be able to do. Anyway, he got all my deets and he said, no, we can't replace or we won't replace the device with a 10th generation one. What we will do is a system board replacement. And I said, I have no confidence that that's going to fix the problem long term. And he said, well, it could be that some people who've had the problem recurring got refurb system board replacements. We are confident that we've got to the bottom of this issue. And as long as you have your BIOS up to date, and as long as you have the board we're going to give you, you should be okay. And I really can't do anything more than accept that assurance and play the game, at least for a little while. 
And so we organized for a technician to come next day. So only one day late, according to my contract, and replace the system board. I had meetings all morning. And so I said, can you come between one and five? He said, absolutely. We'll send you a text message or give you a call to confirm when the technician is nearly on their way, just to make sure you're available to see the technician. I said, great. So we're now on to Tuesday and we get to 5 p.m. and I haven't heard from anybody. So once again, I call the Lenovo so-called premier support number and I talk to the person and he says, oh, I'm just looking at your ticket and they don't have the part in stock. They're not going to get the part probably until 10 p.m. on Wednesday night. I thought, wow, how dedicated of somebody to be there at 10 p.m. on a Wednesday night to receive my system board for this ThinkPad. He said, I'm sorry for the delay. And I said, actually, I don't mind the delay because I've got a working ThinkPad. What I do mind is that nobody had the courtesy to call me while I've been here expecting a technician to tell me that no technician was coming, that I had to follow up. That's not premier support to me. And I always say to these guys, I realize it's not your fault. I'm reminded of the album by Elton John. Don't shoot me. I'm only the piano player. But this is not premier support to me. It doesn't feel like we matter as customers when they can't even be bothered to tell you that there's been a delay. I did subsequently learn about a bit of the Lenovo website you can go to where you can enter your ticket number and get all of that information. So that's good. But nobody actually told me that that existed before. I did a bit of Googling and discovered it myself. So on Thursday afternoon, I got a call from the technician. He came over here at three armed with a new system board. At least I hope it's a new one and not a refurb. And he put that board in. And of course, then we had the fun and games of setting everything up again, because of course you've got a new board and that means that there's a new TPM, Trusted Platform Module. And so all the security stuff has to be set up again. It also wanted the BitLocker key. I kind of regret now not having just disabled BitLocker, but I had my BitLocker key on my phone and I handed it over to him and he very kindly typed it in. When we got to the part where I needed to enter a PIN because I needed to set all that security stuff up again, I found that I had no JAWS talking and I thought, that's no problem, I will run Narrator. Pressed Control and Windows and Enter, no Narrator. So in the end, he was like a human screen reader, this technician, and I give him a lot of credit because he didn't leave until I said I was satisfied and that I felt I was good to go. So that's great service that he was willing to stick around. And he appreciated that without speech, I was kind of up soup creek, right? So he stayed with me and he read me the prompts. And I thought, why isn't this working? And then, of course, something clicked in my brain and I realized something. And that is that on ThinkPads, by default, you have the function key on the very far left. And then the control key is the second key in. Now, I used to live with that when I owned ThinkPads before, but I've used so many laptops subsequently that it just felt odd. And there's a BIOS setting now where you can flip them around so that the control key is on the left like it is on most other laptops. And of course, in all the panic and the setup and everything, it didn't click with me that because this is a new board, there's a new BIOS on that board and all those settings are gone. So I was pressing function and Windows and Enter, and not Control on Windows and Enter, and that's why I had no narrator. Duh. 
So we eventually got to the desktop. Of course, JAWS wanted reauthorizing until it was reauthorized and JAWS was restarted. Lisi was complaining about how it wasn't a registered copy. OneDrive was signed out. iCloud was signed out, uh, all that kind of stuff. So I did all of that. And then I did a restart. And I'm so glad that I did a restart because when I did the restart, the technician told me, oh, it's prompting on the screen for the BitLocker key again. He did go into the BIOS for me and uh, switch the control and function keys and do a couple of other things I asked him to do. But the BitLocker key would not take. And so in the end, we disabled BitLocker. I haven't re-enabled it yet, and I must do that soon. I presume that when I re-enable it, it will be fine again. But it's no fun to be prompted for that big, long BitLocker string every time you reboot the computer and before you have speech. Not good. So. It does seem like things are back to normal, subject to me getting BitLocker working again. The charge port is operating again. When I spoke to the Lenovo guy on the phone when I first reported this, he said, when we put a new board in your machine, there's going to be a BIOS update. And it's really important that you install that BIOS update as soon as possible. So I've done that as well. And now I guess we hold our breath and see how long this lasts. But I'm telling you this because I was so enthusiastic about it before, and now I'm not so much. And I know some people have got ThinkPad X1 Carbon 9th Gen machines. You should look out for this because it seems to be a particularly serious problem with this generation of ThinkPad X1 Carbon. Hardware can fail, of course, and I'm not overly worried about that. If this had just happened to me in isolation, I would have thought, oh, well, stuff happens, you know. But seeing that 33-page thread and wondering if it is this bad, which it clearly is, why hasn't there been a recall of this machine so that people could get their boards replaced if they really have fixed this in some sort of systemic way before they are inconvenienced. This is much more than just an occasional glitch. I'm really disappointed. I'm kind of underwhelmed by the response that I've received in terms of valuing me as a customer who has paid for this high-priced service contract. And unfortunately for me, the jury is now out on whether my next laptop will be another ThinkPad. It may be, because they have a lot to recommend them, But this experience has hardly endeared them to me. Then I ask, well, where else would I go? Because this is the third consecutive Windows laptop where I've had some sort of hardware issue. And it does make me wonder, am I jinxed? Or is there something cheap and nasty about the manufacture of Windows laptops at the moment? I mean, I've got a desktop here built by Henry, the wonder son-in-law. And it just goes and goes. And yet I have these issues now with Windows laptops, possibly manufactured in the same factory. Because while you have brands who build these things to spec, there is a set of factories that builds these things. But it just doesn't feel like things are built to last in the Windows laptop space. Or maybe I am just having a really bad run and that it's now over. Because they say things come in threes, don't they? Let's hope this is all behind us. I want to say happy holidays and thank you to everybody who reads the transcripts that we produce every week. It's really important to me that we continue to, if at all possible, find ways to help the deaf-blind community in particular engage. This is an example of where accessibility is a win for us all. Just the other day, actually, 
I was doing a search for something in my own podcast because I knew that a listener had talked about some software and I needed that particular kind of software. Actually, it was software for creating a disk image of my ThinkPad in case it needed to be wiped and I just wanted an image I could restore from, I was able to search the transcript. I do this primarily because of the deafblind community, but as I say, we all benefit when things are universally accessible. So thank you for supporting the transcripts and for engaging in that way. Thank you to Internet NZ, who sponsored them for quite some time, and a special thank you to our current sponsors, Numerous Solutions, who are doing some fantastic stuff. I do appreciate your support. I also am a huge enthusiast for RIM. I've talked about the way that it benefits me personally, and it's great to see RIM being adopted and supported by a wide range of organizations that are respected in our community. Organizations like the Lighthouse Vision Loss Education Center, Perkins School for the Blind, the Wisconsin Council of the Blind and Visually Impaired, Vision Australia, Straith, happy Christmas to you over there, the CNIB, RIMS in use at the National Federation of the Blind's National Office, the Iowa Department for the Blind, the list goes on and on. RIM is a phenomenon because it's accessible, it's useful, it works, and it's affordable. If you want to find out more about RIM, that's Remote Incident Manager, and give it a spin for yourself, head on over to getrim.app. Because we all know that over the holiday season, if we know a little bit about technology, we're going to be bothered by friends and family when we all get together who want you to fix their tech issues. If you have a laptop and they have a laptop that doesn't have a screen reader on it, you can even remote in and get things sorted for them and get an extra slice of turkey in appreciation. Head on over there now. Get Rim. That's G-E-T-R-I-M dot app from Numa Solutions. <laughs> I want a brand new Apple Watch for Christmas Only a brand new Apple Watch will do Don't be a bozo It is indeed Apple Watch time for Christmas And to help with this process is the Unboxing Ninja, Heidi Taylor Hello, hello Merry Christmas Merry Christmas What are you hoping for for Christmas? I don't know Well that makes it easy. We can get you as many I don't knows as you like. Awesome. That is epic. And we're going to have Turdakin at Mosin Towers for Christmas. That'll be exciting. It will be exciting. Do you know why we are doing this? Because the people like unboxings? Well, apparently so. I did a poll on Mastodon. There are polls features that are quite accessible on Mastodon. Oh, yes. For creating and completing. And I said, I don't know about these unboxing things. Some people seem to like them. When I'm a listener, I'm not a fan. Do people want me to spend time on this or not? And of those who voted, a whopping 66% said, yes, we want to hear the unboxing of the Apple Watch Ultra. Now, when you were on here for the WWDC thing, no, it was the other one, the one in September. We were kind of thinking, who's going to buy this Apple Watch Ultra? And everybody on the panel said, I'm not going to buy an Apple Watch Ultra, including me. Yes. But then <laughs> I just kept hearing about the amazing battery life, how much better the speaker sounded and the mics. And we will try and put some of that to the test. So here we are. So shall we do the unboxing? Okay. Um, what have we got, actually? It's the Apple Watch Ultra with what loop? The black and grey 
Trail Loop, was it? Trail Loop, yeah, that's right. It, it's the one that has the Velcro. Reminds me of the trail mix, you know. <laughs> <laughs> yeah. yeah, so that's what we've got. Oh, is, is that going to look as nice as my current band on my current Apple Watch? I mean, I can't guarantee that, but you had to pick one of the ultra bands to come with it. You couldn't pick a different band. Yeah. And this one had the least funky-looking clasp. Right. And I must say that I have, for most of my Apple Watch existence, just bought knockoff bands from Amazon, and they've been perfectly fine. <laughs> Good quality. Yeah. Like this one that I've got on now, it's the equivalent of the Melanie's Loop, isn't it? Yes, it is. Yeah. And that's really expensive from Apple. Mm. But I bought this, and it's, to me, equivalent. I mean, it's... No different at all, and it was way cheap. Well, supposedly the bands are compatible, so if you don't like the one you got with the Ultra, you could just put that one on. Right. And is Henry inheriting this Apple Watch? He would like to inherit it if it's on offer. It is on offer. I guess he could inherit his band from his, you know, and on and on it goes. Because his Apple Watch is a Series 3, and that's definitely seen better days. Yes. Like, hasn't it? started coming to bits or something the glass on the back where like the sensors are and it charges from has got a nasty crack in it oh and he started to be able to like it used to just be cosmetic but now he can actually feel it on his wrist so oh. we were actually in the process of looking at buying him a new apple watch anyway oh well this is good timing yes good timing so let's get it out of the box all right yep so you first we have the shipping box that's nice yep and I should say that while iPhones are in short supply, particularly the Pro and Pro Max at the moment because of a uh, issue with the factory in China, this I ordered less than 48 hours ago and it came here. Yeah. Yeah. So we're into it. Oh, it's a nice it's a nice Apple box, but they always are nice. Okay, let's have it's, a little look like at this. It's like embossed on the top. Oh, my goodness. That is so classy. Mm. Wow. So the top of the box is quite rough in texture yeah but you can feel the so embossing ears but it feels like engraving oh yeah that's probably the better word yeah what, what does it say it's the apple logo and then it says watch you can feel the shape of the apple logo can't you yes yeah and then and watch in there yeah. okay so it doesn't say ultra on it it doesn't say ultra on the front okay no. so how do you open this uh on if you turn it upside down you've got little flaps like little oh gosh I have been told that Apple has a department where they spend time kind of researching the unboxing experience. <laughs> That's amazing. Uh, so the flap opens up. It's a delicious new technology smell. Mm. And then here we've got this. Oh, this is this the band? Uh, this, thick, this thick piece of cardboard. No, it's not the no. band. The band is somewhere else. It is a booklet all about the Apple Watch Ultra, all like the showing you what all the buttons are and warranty information or something similar. Does it say anything interesting we should read to the world? Uh, well, it shows off pictures of the three different kinds of loops, the Alpine, Ocean and Trail loops. And then it's got nice pictures showing you how to slot the band into place and how the charger attaches to the back. Okay. And then it's just showing off all the little buttons on the side. So it's got a new button, this one, doesn't it? The, yes, it does. The on the, on the opposite side, isn't it, of where the digital crown and the side buttons are? Yeah. You've got a button, and that's called the action button, and that's programmable. Yes. How do we get into this box? Uh, I don't want to break it. <laughs> kind of feel like I'm 
doing something sacrilegious. There's some um, tape on the okay. bottom that you has little pull tabs. Like. And then in a separate package is the band, which we'll, I guess, get to in a second. But I'm quite keen to feel the Apple Watch Ultra and just work out how much bigger it really feels compared with my Series 6, which is the 44 millimeter. Okay, so now I'm going to... So Open I've, the box. Yeah, I've, I've taken the tape off, so it should just, like, the lift lid should slide off, like, with an iPhone box. Oh, yeah. Okay. Oh, it's not that bad. I mean, it definitely is bigger. It's kind of, it, it's chunky. I remember when I got my first plus-sized phone, they called it in those days. Mm -hmm. I thought, oh, my God, this is way too big. I'm used to it now, and all the other phones feel small. But it's not like that. This is definitely a bigger watch. So it is encased in paper, isn't it? Is it just a paper material? Yeah, it looks papery. Yeah, environmentally friendly paper. So I'm just peeling that off. Wow, this is really ragged. I mean, it just feel this, Heidi. It's kind of... Oh, wow. Yeah, it's like more sharp edges. It's kind of weighty. You definitely notice the difference of the weight of this on your wrist. Yeah. Now, as I just feel around the watch, the digital crown feels different. It's got something on the sides of it. See what I mean? It's got like a lip around the digital crown that the other ones don't have. Yes. Yeah, so they've encased the digital crown and the side button in their own like protruded housing <laughs> I suck I'm not even going to edit that thank you <laughs> so you can only really touch the top and the bottom of the crown you can't do the sides as well yeah. but it, the crown itself has bigger gaps in the grippiness of it like right like wider teeth you could say and then opposite you've got the action button which is quite recessed it almost feels like if you were thinking of this as some sort of normal accessory, it could even be mistaken tactually, I think, for a little USB port because of the way it feels. If you if you imagine that you might think of this as a USB-C port or something like that, can you see what I'm saying? It kind of feels recessed enough Oh yeah. that it feels like something might plug into it. But then you press and there's a button there actually instead. Yeah. I guess we should fit the band now. Okay. So... Hold this nice Apple Watch Ultra. It's very heavy. It it'll, is very it'll, heavy. It'll give you give you good exercise. And uh, I'll give you the other package in the box, which is the band. Yep. The Trail Loop Band. Yes. Right. You're going to unbox the band? Yep. Cool. So oh, it, it unfolds. It's kind of like an envelope almost. And, then and the winner is? <laughs> the Black and Grey Trail Loop. <sighs> okay. Do you want to look at it before I take it out of its card? Yeah, so it's slotted in. It feels quite synthetic. It uh, one side's kind of ridgy, like a almost like a placemat. <laughs> oh yeah. Don't you think it feels like a placemat? Yeah, I can see that. Yeah. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> yep. All right. Oh, it's it's kind of stretchy. Right. Which wrist do you wear your watch on? Because on my right wrist. Right wrist. Yeah. So that it way. feels more athletic than dressy to me. Is that a fair? I mean, would it look nice if you wore it out to the ball? I mean, I maybe wouldn't wear it to a ball, but like, 
I don't think it'd be out of place just at work, for example. But right. yes, it definitely is more sporty. But I think that's the whole target market of this watch. Yes. Do you think that the Melanie's Loop knockoff I've got is more classy looking? I'd probably say yes. Yeah, I like this band. I wonder if we can make it fit this Apple, the new Apple Watch. This Thank you. Oh, that feels very interesting. <laughs> <laughs> okay, so it's got the Velcro, and it never completely comes off, does it? It, it should be able to completely come off. Be- well, it will always be a loop, oh. but you should oh, be yeah, able to pull go. it all the way back go. so you yeah. can adjust the size. Yeah. Now, I suppose we need to think about how to actually get this new Apple Watch working. And this could be some useful information, even if you are upgrading to another model of Apple Watch. If you have an Apple Watch now, how do you do this? Particularly if you're doing it in what I would call the off season. So some people might buy a new iPhone and a new Apple Watch at the same time. In my case, I've already got my iPhone 14 Pro Max, and it's paired to the Apple Watch Series 6 that I have. We actually have two choices. One is that we can just go ahead and boot up this watch and we can add it as a second watch. You can have multiple Apple Watches paired with your phone and it will share health data and you can customize each one with the apps that you want, that kind of thing. And when you set it up, you can go ahead and restore from a backup of your previous Apple Watch or you can set the Apple Watch up as new. The one downside potentially of that is that there's no rhyme nor reason about when Apple makes backups of the Apple Watch and you can't force Apple to make a backup of the Apple Watch. The only way to do that actually is to unpair your watch. When you unpair, it will make a backup of the watch and then you can be guaranteed that when you're going to restore the backup to a new device, it's going to have the absolute latest data. This doesn't include stuff like health and messages and all sorts of other data that's installed into the cloud. But if you've installed apps recently, it will include that. Now, in my case, I'm not keeping my old Apple Watch because Henry, the wonder son-in-law, is getting it. So I am going to go ahead and unpair my current Apple Watch from my iPhone before we go any further. To do that, I need to go into the Watch app. Open Watch. Watch. I'll go to the top of the screen. All watches. Button. And I'm going to double tap the all watches button. Done. Button. I'll flick right. All watches. Heading. My watches. Heading. Selected. Jonathan's Apple Watch. Stainless steel. 44 millimeters case. Button. Actions are available here, so I will flick up. More info. And double tap more info. Paired. Heading. Jonathan's Apple Watch. 44 millimeters case, stainless steel. Version 9.2, 20S361. Model M09J3, serial number. Wi-Fi address. A, Bluetooth. 8, IMI. 3, EID. Button, seed. Button, find my Apple Watch. Button, locate your Apple Watch. Enable lost mode or erase it using the Find My App. Unpair Apple Watch. Button. That is the magic button that will generate a backup and disassociate this watch from my account so that it can become Henry's watch. Or we'll double tap. Select alert. You will need to pair again with this Apple Watch to use it again. Unpair Jonathan's Apple Watch. Button. And I'll double tap. Secure text field. Apple ID password. Heading. 
Now I have to enter the password for my Apple ID and I can actually do that on my Mantis so that we don't get any echo back from the device. So I'll do that now. There we go, the Mantis is on. And I'll press enter. Unpair Apple Watch button. Unpairing Apple Watch heading. Your iPhone is currently unpairing Apple Watch. This might take a little while. In progress. And we don't see a percentage indicator or hear one anyway, but it is now going ahead and unpairing. The part of the process that's important here is that it is making a current backup of the Apple Watch that we can use when we set up the new one, be that an Ultra or any other model that you might be upgrading to. I'll let that do its thing and we'll come back when we're ready to take the next step. And actually, it didn't take too long. I would say about, what, 90 seconds, Heidi? Yeah. Yeah, about that. And now we've got... Good afternoon. Heading. And a very good afternoon to you. If you have an Apple Watch, you can pair it with your iPhone here. Learn more about Apple Watch. Button. Photos of an Apple Watch. Apple Watch Sport and Apple Watch Edition. Image. Watch. Start pairing. Button. This process now is the same as if you were buying a new Apple Watch. If you've thought about getting one and you think, oh, how does this actually work? This is what you would do at this point. You would go into the Watch app on your phone and you can begin the process from here. What I'm going to do now is finally switch on the Apple Watch Ultra. To do that, on one side of the device, we've got the digital crown, which rotates and presses in, and you can perform a range of functions. And then we also have the side button. And it's that which we need to hold down, and it should start the Apple Watch booting up. What a shame that they haven't put a sound in the Apple Watch Ultra like they've put a sound in the newer iPhones. Have yeah. we got something visual? We have the amazing Apple logo. That's nice. Is it still booting up? Um, it. It's now telling us to bring your iPhone okay. near to the watch. What we want to do now, though, is invoke voiceover. And it's a pretty standard convention with Apple products to do something like this. To get voiceover working, we will press the digital crown three times. Triple click the digital crown. Info. Button. Oh, okay. That's nice speakers. Info. In bring iPhone near Apple Watch. Bring iPhone near Apple okay. Watch. Okay. We'll bring the iPhone near the Apple Watch. Start pairing. Oh, button. maybe I need to do the start pairing button. Set up Apple Watch. Heading. If you have an Apple Watch, you can set it up here. Setting up for a family member requires Apple Watch Series 4, GPS plus cellular, or later. Set up for myself. Button. Hold Apple Watch up. Back button. Hold Apple Watch up to the camera. Heading. Align it with the viewfinder below. Pair Apple Watch manually. Now, it is possible for a blind person to do this. So... The camera that it wants is the back-facing camera, isn't it? Yes, that's correct. And so we hold the Apple Watch up to the camera. And I have done this before, but sometimes I've also resorted to pairing it manually. How close do you have to be to hold it to the uh, You're too close. Too Your Apple Watch is paired. I was not. Well, you were for a moment. <laughs> okay, now it says it's paired. Your Apple Watch is paired. Heading. And it's as simple as that. So hold it up to the camera. If you have difficulty doing that, and there's a bit of a knack to it as a blind person, because visually you can see it. If you have a bit of a hassle doing it, you can enter a series of pin numbers on both devices. A photo of an Apple Watch. Restore from backup. Button. 
Set up as new Apple Watch. Button. I'm going to restore from the backup. Set up. Restore from backup. Button. So I'll double tap. And do I need to flip right? Choose a backup yep. from the list below or set this Apple Watch up manually. Jonathan's Apple Watch. Stainless steel. 44mm case. Today. 2.04pm watch OS 9.1. Selected. Continue. Button. And I'll double tap continue. Selected. Jonathan's Apple Watch. Stainless steel. 44 mil. Back button. Restore from backup. Back button. Terms and conditions. All right. Heading. I'll accept those. Toolbar. Agree. Button. Apple Watch passcode. Heading. When you set a passcode, Apple Watch locks when you take it off and requires the passcode to unlock. This helps protect your data. Create a passcode. Button. I'll do that. Create a passcode. Wow. Heading. Okay, the the first thing I noticed is that the haptics on this thing are very strong. <laughs> they they are quite a bit stronger, it seems to me, than the haptics on the previous generation that I have. Enter new passcode. One. So I will just enter the passcode now, and I will uh, pause the recording while I do that. In progress. Bold text and size. Heading. Select your preferred reading experience. Bold text. Switch button. Off. 38%. Adjustable. Suggested based on your iPhone type settings. Continue. Button. Accessibility. Heading. You can apply your accessibility settings from your iPhone to your Apple Watch. VoiceOver. Switch button. On. VoiceOver speaks items on the screen. Bullet tap once to select an item. Bullet swipe two fingers to scroll. Bullet double tap to activate the selected item. Continue. Button. Optimize charge limit. Heading. Indicating that pairing is complete. Image. If you see an open charge ring, Apple Watch will charge to an optimized limit. This limit adapts to your daily usage and preserves your battery lifespan over time. You can manage this in battery settings on your Apple Watch. Continue. Button. Shared settings. Heading. Apple Watch shares settings with iPhone for location services. Find my iPhone. Siri and analytics and improvement. Some watch faces and apps may use your location when location services is on. Fitness and health apps will be downloaded to your iPhone. Apple Watch automatically works with Share My Location when you leave your iPhone behind. All right. Okay. Button. Personalize fitness and health. Heading. This information ensures fitness and health data are as accurate as possible. These details are not shared with Apple. Now it's going through some personal information such as sex, birth dates, and height and weight. Weight. Set. Wheelchair. Switch button. Off. If wheelchair setting is turned on, a paired Apple Watch can track pushes and add to your move ring. On iPhone, you can close your move ring with any app that adds workouts to health. Continue. Button. Get notifications about your health. Heading. Receive a notification when there's something you need to know. Noise. Your Apple Watch microphone can measure sound levels without recording audio and notify you if they might affect your hearing. Switch button. On. Continue. Button. Double tap. Safety. Heading. Apple Watch can help in an emergency. Emergency SOS. Hold the side button to call emergency services and notify emergency contacts. Fall detection. Apple Watch can call emergency services if it detects a hard fall and you need help. Crash detection. If Apple Watch detects a car crash, it can call emergency services for you. Siren. If you need to attract help in an emergency, your watch can play a loud sound. Backtrack. In a remote setting, Apple Watch can record your route in case you get lost. Safety features may share your location when your device calls or you text emergency services. Your emergency contacts may also then be contacted and notified of your location. 
See how your data is managed. Button. Continue. Button. And we'll try the siren later, Heidi. That could be exciting. Oh, no. Yeah. <laughs> In progress. The safety thing is still on the screen, but it looks like it's actually doing something. Is that right? It says in progress on the screen as well as that safety information. Yeah, it's got a in progress indicator. So right. I don't think you can get any further right now. Okay. Meanwhile, on the watch, we'll just wake it up. Apple logo surrounded by several intricate lines, indicating that pairing is complete. It's been saying that for quite some time. The screen is much more rectangular, isn't it? It is. It doesn't have the sort of curved edges like it doesn't curve downward into the body it's flat like a phone i have to say it reminds me of those cheap kids toy watches that when i was a kid people used to wear (laughs) (laughs) i don't know if that's a good thing see if anything else is happening here back button photo of an apple watch displaying a successful apple pay purchase image watch apple pay heading add credit debit or store cards to apple pay to make secure payments in apps on the web and in shops using NFC. I have to say this is so, so handy to have your watch on your wrist and walk up to something and just wave it over the terminal and push the button and pay. And it's still got the wow factor, you know, because not everybody does it. And so when somebody (laughs) walks up with the watch and does that, sometimes the people on the other side of the counter go, dude, dude, dude." do you like the Apple Pay? Yeah, I do like the Apple Pay. I use Apple Pay on my watch all the time. Yeah, it's brilliant. So we've got to set this up. Card-related information, location, and information about device settings and use patterns may be sent to Apple and may be used together with account information to provide assessments to your card issuer or payment network to set up Apple Pay and prevent transaction fraud. See how your data is managed. Button. And this is something that does not get retained in the backup. Continue. Button. Previous cards. Quickly add the cards, keys, and passes you previously used. ASB Visa credit card. Four bullets. 514. Continue. Button. Yep, I want to add that one, so I'll continue. Cont- Try again. Face oh. not recognized. Face face ID authenticated. There we go. Pick face up the ID. Phone. Authenticated. Watch. Security code. Text field. Is editing. Three digit CVV. Insertion point at start. Now it wants the three-digit CVV from the Visa card. In New Zealand, my primary credit card that I use most of the time, my American Express Platinum card, does not do Apple Pay, which given what you have to pay to keep that Platinum card is ridiculous. Yeah. All right. Let's enter this thing. I've entered the three digits, and now I can choose. Next button. Contacting the card issuer. Next terms and conditions. Heading. ASB Apple Pay terms. Heading level one, vertical scroll bar, 10 pages, 0%, vertical toolbar, agree, button, setting up card for Apple Pay, adding card, heading, adding to Apple Watch, your card has been added to wallet on your Apple Watch, card verification, heading, choose how to verify your card for Apple Pay, choose how to verify your card for Apple Pay, selected, text message, text message is fine, next, Button. Next. Card verification. Card ver. Text field. Is editing. Enter code. Insertion point at start. Card activated. Heading. And what happened there was that I am in do not disturb while we're recording. The text message came through. It automatically lifted the number from the text message, inserted it, and now we're verified. 
ASB Visa credit card is ready for Apple Pay. Done. Button. Done. Action button. Heading. Oh, now we're learning about the new action button. Choose what you'd like the action button to do. Selected. Workout. Start workout. Mark segment. Stopwatch. Start. Mark lap. Waypoint. Create. Backtrack. Start. Dive. Start. Torch. On. Off. Continue. Button. So, a few options there. What do you think we should make the action button do? Maybe start a workout? I think so. That feels like the thing you'd most likely use. Yeah. Or maybe the stopwatch in certain situations, because I do use the stopwatch sometimes if I'm giving a public speech and I want to pre-read it to make sure I'm not going to waffle on too long. I use the stopwatch. But workout I would use even more. Back. Action button. Choose what you'd like the selected. Workout. Start workout. Mark segment. That's fine. Choose what you'd like. Action button. Heading. Set up later in settings. Continue. Button. Depth. Heading. Now flick right. Depth. Heading. The depth app can automatically open underwater and measure temperature, time and depth. Now, I did have a request from a listener who said they wanted me to demonstrate this. And I'm not quite sure how I can, (laughs) because if I put the watch under the water, it's going to be hard to hear the Apple Watch. And I'd also need to find a microphone that could go under the water to accompany the Apple Watch. So I'm sorry to disappoint, but I don't think I have a waterproof mic. Open depth when submerged. Button. Don't open automatically. Button. I think we will set it to don't open automatically. Diving safety. Heading. Underwater activities are risky. To dive safely, follow these recommendations. To reduce the risk of serious or fatal injury when diving, always follow diving safety protocols. Before diving, read the instructions and warnings in the Apple Watch user guide. Learn more. Button. Continue. Button. We'll continue. Continue. But always on display. Heading. See what's on your Apple Watch even when your wrist is down. Sensitive content may not be visible by default, but you can choose what's displayed in settings. Continue. Button. I'm going to turn off the always on display. It is actually off in my backup, so hopefully that will be inherited because I don't really see any benefit to a blind person of having it on. And for a blind person, switching it off might give me a bit more battery life. Continue. Genius. Button. App view. Heading. Access your apps by pressing the digital crown. You can change the app view anytime in settings. Grid view. Button. Selected. List view. I definitely prefer the list view of apps from an accessibility point of view. Continue. Button. Welcome to Apple Watch. Heading. (laughs) That really is quite haptic. My watch. Adjust settings. Organize apps and customize your watch faces. Face gallery. Browse watch faces and add them to your collection. Apple Watch apps. Get apps from the App Store on Apple Watch or on your iPhone. Okay. Button. Okay. All watches. Button. Jonathan's Apple Watch. Heading. Search. My faces. Now, it's... 2.25 p.m. and 8 seconds. Oh, it looks like it's all set up. Battery. 85%. Do not disturb. No events. No events. That's interesting. So the process was going on while we were setting it up, and it appears to be all ready to go now. So... What we could do, Heidi. Yes. Why don't I turn voiceover off? Alert. Okay. Device added to your account. Oh. An Apple Watch now has access to iMessage and FaceTime. If you don't recognize this device, you can remove it in settings. Settings. Button. Okay. Button. My faces. I'll turn voiceover off. Voiceover off. And give you the watch. Happy Christmas. I thought it might be interesting if you were to go through all the watch faces and just tell me if you're seeing anything new and maybe what they're like 
Would you like to talk about, since we haven't heard from you for way too long, yes. would you like to talk about the different watch faces and how you might use those and in what circumstances? Okay. Oh, th- conveniently, there's a category called new watch faces. Brilliant. Mm. So tell us about, for those who aren't Apple Watch users at the moment, about the concept of watch faces and complications. It's complicated. It is complicated. Uh, so your watch face is what you see on the screen by default. It's where your time is and any other information you've put in. And there's little modules, which are called complications. And so they could be things like the workout app, the calendar, any little app. It's like a shortcut to the app, right? And they can also display information. Kind of like the widgets have become in iOS 16, isn't it? The lock screen widgets. Yeah. New watch faces. Astronomy, which seems to have a picture of the Earth as the background. Luna, which has the moon and moon phases on it. Can you tell by looking at it how many complications each one will contain? I can guesstimate based on how many are shown in the sample. Sometimes there's an extra slot they don't use. Because on my current one, I've been using the, I think it's chronograph one, and that seems to have the most complications because I like lots of complications. Okay. The astronomy one looks like it only has one or two complication slots. Uh, It's mainly a visual face, Mm -hmm. like with the pretty picture in the background. The lunar one has at least four slots. Right. Uh, I'm just looking around because I see we've got the charger as well. There's no power brick. No. But there is a charger, I presume, somewhere. Um, and it's a USB-C one, and it uh, supports fast charging. Where is the charger? I don't know. I'm looking for it, like, in some sort of recessed... Oh, it's it's in your hand. It's wrapped in cardboard. Oh, there we go. Oh, yeah, there we go. See what you miss when you don't stay alert? Yeah, so this is a USB-C charger. <laughs> oh, oh, that's sorry. cool. Go ahead with your complication. Metropolis... Me- Metropolis... Uh, Metropolis? Metropolitan. Oh, Metropolitan. Yay! <laughs> Metropolitan, right. I can't believe I narrated an audiobook. <laughs> <laughs> uh, this one also has four complication slots. Mm-hmm. Uh, it looks like an analog watch, essentially, and then in each corner of the screen is a space for a complication. Okay. Modular. Oh, yep. That's been around a while, unless they've changed modular. They have changed it slightly. Um, they updated it mm. recently. So, but that has what? One, two, three, four, five slots. Right. There's one called Playtime, <laughs> where the numbers of the time are fun characters. And then there's like cartoony shapes in the background. So, very simple. I don't think it has any complications. Oh. Uh, Portraits, which, again, looks like one they already had, where you can use a portrait mode photo from your phone and the person can be in front of, partially in front of the time if you want, which makes it difficult to read. That one doesn't seem to have complications either. Okay. And then there is Wayfinder, which is looks like it has a lot of complications, at least eight slots, but maybe more. And I think this is the like one designed for the Apple Watch Ultra. And you can have all sorts of things on there when I understand, having looked at the documentation briefly, like elevation, compass bearing, 
you know, it, it, it's designed for being in the outdoors, I think. Yes. I'll have it back now. I guess I can allow that. <laughs> well, I must say, <laughs> you really notice it on your wrist. I mean, when I pick it up, it didn't feel that huge. But on your wrist, it's quite pronounced. Yeah. Woo. <laughs> It is a big boy. <laughs> yeah, you really do notice it on the wrist. Gosh, that's quite large. <laughs> yeah, I might be revising my view now that it's actually on my wrist. <laughs> Whoa. Uh, oh, I need to turn voiceover on. Um, why don't I have any sound there? Voiceover off. There we go. Oh, oh no, it's okay. Voiceover on. Right. Enter passcode. Screen code, enter passcode, one. I'm just going to enter the passcode. 2.32 p.m. and 41 seconds. Headings. Language, default. English, us. English, UK. Volume, 100%. Speaking rate, 67, 62%. We'll just slow that down a bit. 67%. 67%. Wow, the speaker is definitely an improvement, isn't it? Yeah. 82, 98, current temperature, 16 degrees, low, 12 degrees, high, 19 degrees, 57%. That's very nice. Rain. Two unread messages. 991. Bullet. 06. Bullet. 12. Just press record. And there's just press record, and we will have a look at that in just a moment. So I go to the main app screen. Home. 1Password7. Button. And then if I press the action button now, which is all recessed on the other side. Workout. Open workout. And there we go. It's now taking me straight into workout. And it's very fast, I have to say. Mm -hmm. So let's weather, just talk button, to Siri. Wallet, what can I say? What's the weather forecast for today? It's currently raining and 16 degrees. Temperatures are heading up from 16 degrees to 18 tonight. Very nice sound. Wellington. Early condition. Wallet. Button. Walkie-talkie. Walkie dokie. Okay, I'm going to open the Siren app now because this is one of the new features that I can demonstrate. This is a safety feature. I'm told it's quite loud. Oh, should I cover my ears? Well, I don't know how loud it can possibly be. Open Siren. 2.34 p.m. Hmm. Emergency play. 80 Siren. 230 we'll Siren. 83% battery. Play. Button. Emergency call button. Emergency call button. Emergency play button. All right, so it's a simple app, and there's a play button here, and dare I push the thing? Selected. Stop circle show. Does it get louder? Oh, I see. That was the countdown. Play. How loud was that for you? So it wasn't actually that loud, yeah. but it was very high-pitched. It's piercing, man. It's too, <laughs> too piercing, too piercing. Do you mind leaving the room? It's piercing. <laughs> yeah. Okay. So that's the Siren app. What do you think of this Apple Watch Ultra? It's a big boy. Yeah. Yeah, I am thinking a bit differently about it, I must say. In the hand, it didn't seem 
such a big deal, but on your wrist, oh my word. I mean, someone's going to say, oh, I know what you got for Christmas. There's absolutely <laughs> no way you can miss this on your wrist. No. It really, yeah, Apple has talked in the past about a computer on your wrist. This really does feel like you've got a computer on your wrist. Yeah. I'll do a couple of other comparison things, but meanwhile, thank you very much for helping us unbox it. You're very welcome. And happy Christmas. Happy Christmas. Yeah. Let's contrast the speaker on the Apple Watch Series 6 with the Apple Watch Ultra speaker. I've just got my Daniel set to a slightly slower rate than I normally have, so it's easily intelligible. And I'll invoke the watch now. 1.10 p.m. and 52 seconds. So this is the Series 6 right now. 78 BPM. Bullet. Three minutes ago. Oh, dear. Okay, now we'll go to the home screen. Home. Memoji. Button. Messages. Button. Mindfulness. Button. Music. Button. So that's the Apple Watch Series 6 held up reasonably close to the microphone. And just by immediate contrast, I'll hold the Apple Watch Ultra up about the same distance from the phone. 2.57 p.m. and 26 seconds. Noticeably better. 80 BPM. Bullet. One minute ago. Home. Timers. But streamlets. Stopwatch. Stocks. Actually, Button. let's go into streamlets. Stopwatch. Streamlets. Button. And I'll double tap. Streamlets. Heading. Streamlets, for those who don't recall or didn't hear the Graham Innes review, is a really good Apple Watch radio app. Tag slash genre. Button. Countries. Button. We'll go into countries. Loading. Ellipsis. Andorra. Five we'll station. Just S. Scroll through the Button. crown a bit here. Austria. 219 oh. station. S. Button. Just scroll through quite a bit here on the crown. Egypt. Spain, yep, keep going. 690, Guyana, Hong Kong, New Zealand, 200 station, S, button. Oh, we're well represented here. Loading, ellipsis. News Talk ZB Auckland, 64kbps, right. AAC plus, button. That's got talk, so that's a good choice. Let's just have a quick listen in and we'll hear the speaker working away there. Volume. stitched bench seats for the living area and the fold-out awning that's ready to relax under as soon as you park up. Fever so now station. you've customised the motorhome, it's time to customise your insurance with Star Insurance Specialists. Fever's we know station. how you care Fever's for it, so we can tailor insurance that fits perfectly. Star Camper by Star Insurance Stop Specialists. Stop. Stop playing. There's no audio ducking on the Apple Watch, but I was able to save News Talk ZB as a favorite and then stop playing. So that is a look at the speaker on the Apple Watch. Now let's turn to the microphone system. Just Press Record is such a handy app. I have it on my Apple Watch as a widget on the primary watch face that I use. I also now have it as a widget on my lock screen on my iPhone because you never know when you might be out and about. You might get some sort of guide dog refusal if Bonnie and I are traveling together and it's just handy to be able to make a recording. So I like having Just Press Record handy at all times. I'm recording this demo on my Apple Watch Series 6 and shortly I'm going to record a demo on my Apple Watch Ultra just talking into the microphone normally at about the same distance as I now have my Apple Watch. So the watch is on my wrist. I do have my wrist raised. So I am talking roughly by the watch. It's not uncomfortable, but the watch is definitely raised. So let's go to the Apple Watch Ultra now and see if we can hear any appreciable difference in terms of the recording quality. And now we've switched to the Apple Watch Ultra. 
I'm holding it about the same distance away from my wrist that I held the Apple Watch Series 6 that I've upgraded from, and I'm just talking away at the same kind of level in exactly the same place, and now the watch has gone into standby. It's switched its screen off, but just press record continues to record. So I'd be interested to hear whether there is any appreciable difference in the microphone quality. This is saving in M4A format, but for spoken word like this, that should be absolutely fine. So that's the microphone on the Apple Watch Ultra. As I put this together, it's early days. I've only had the watch literally for an hour or so on my wrist. And by mutual agreement, I did change the band pretty quickly. Henry was quite pleased with this new band that came with the Apple Watch Ultra. I didn't like it as much as my knockoff Melanie's Loop, which fits the new Apple Watch very snugly, I'm pleased to say, so I can keep wearing it. It doesn't feel heavy on my wrist, but when I reach out to my wrist, I'm always cognizant of just how big this thing is. I'm sure that will wear off. I'm pretty confident that's exactly how I felt when I got my first plus-sized iPhone. This is a niche product. Why would you consider an Apple Watch Ultra? The battery life was a very compelling consideration. Apparently, it is phenomenal battery life, and I look forward to experiencing that. As someone who has a hearing impairment, the speaker volume and quality was a consideration. I don't know why, and I always swore that I would not buy another Apple Watch until this was fixed, but here I am again. The Apple Watch does not support made-for-iPhone hearing aids. Given that there's plenty of processor power in these things now, and that the Apple Watch does support AirPods, I'm really not clear why the Apple Watch doesn't have seamless handoff between itself and iPhone when using made-for-iPhone hearing aids. That would make a huge difference to me. But in the meantime, particularly in slightly more noisy environments, having a clearer, louder Apple Watch is a consideration for me. The primary market for the Apple Watch Ultra is people who are doing a lot of serious athletic stuff, a lot of work in the outdoors, and if that's you, it's an absolute no-brainer to get an Apple Watch Ultra. The Ultra is more water-resistant. You can submerge yourself up to 100 meters with the Apple Watch Ultra, and it can also take the temperature of water. The GPS receiver in Apple Watch Ultra is supposed to be better because it's dual band and high precision. So when you get the Apple Watch Series 8, you get the GPS receiver that supports L1, but the Apple Watch Ultra GPS receiver supports L1 and L5. Now, Apple says that there are two consequences of this. One is that it's supposed to be more accurate. And I've heard varying opinions about whether that really is true in the real world. The other thing is that it may work better in built environments where you are often prone to lose a GPS signal. If you've played with this a lot, it would be interesting to hear your real world experiences. The action button's nice to have that reprogramming feature there where you can have a button that jumps you into an app that you like. And so those are some of the things that you can weigh up. Of course, the size may be a deterrent. And Bonnie's absolutely adamant. I just rushed upstairs with this Apple Watch on my wrist while I've been recording this and said, look at this, sweetie. And she said, there is no way I am getting one of these. It is too big. If you are concerned about the size, and you have an Apple store close by, pop in, take a look at it and see what you think. In my case, we don't have Apple stores in New Zealand. The only way you can buy from Apple is online. And other stores that sell Apple products don't seem to have the Apple Watch Ultra in stock at the moment. The other thing to be mindful of 
is that there is no Wi-Fi only Apple Watch Ultra. So that's quite a good thing. When you get to the Apple Watch Ultra, you have the cellular option. You don't have to activate that if you don't want to, but it's there. Your carrier will have to support eSIM for wearables. Not all carriers will do that. In a country where there are a lot of natural disasters, that is also a consideration for me. If I can activate the Apple Watch and have it work on cellular and have nice long battery life and make phone calls independently, that is something that could be handy one day. Maybe I'm just trying to find ways to justify it, but (laughs) I'd be interested to see how it fits into my daily life. So that is the Apple Watch Ultra, the new top-of-the-line watch from Apple. If you have one, By all means, share your thoughts. Jonathan at MushroomFM.com is my email address. You can attach an audio clip or write it down. J-O-N-A-T-H-A-N at MushroomFM.com. You can call the listener line 864-60-MOSIN. That's 864-606-6736. We'd be glad to play a selection of your thoughts when we come back on the 29th of January. Mosin at Large Podcast. Imagine that you're listening to the radio or you're watching the TV. You're getting absorbed in a drama. And you find that you can influence the story. The decisions that you make for your character determine where the story is going to go next. And that's the experience that you get when you play a new audio game available for both iOS and Android called Evidence Number 111. It's produced by a Czech company called Play by Ears. And Tom Oramas joins us from the Czech Republic. Tom, it's great to have you with us. Thanks for coming on the podcast. Hi, uh, thanks for inviting me here. I have to say, I'm not much of a gamer, and it's not because I'm boring. Well, I may well be boring, but that's not why I'm not much of a gamer. Uh, It's because I just don't have a lot of time. But I sat down and I thought, this is great. I've got some really cool homework for the podcast, and that is I get to play a game for my homework before I talk to you. And I really got enthralled by this thing because, you know, it's not a shoot 'em up game. It's not an action game. It's just, as I say, like listening to the radio or something, except that you're influencing what's going to happen next. How did Play By Ears come to be? Because I understand that this game actually started with a Czech version about a year ago. Yeah, we did a Czech version, like, actually, it's two years ago already. Wow. Oh, time flies. <laughs> um, I think the original idea was uh, influenced... Uh, Bar I our uh, you know liking in the games uh, such I don't know heavy rain uh, Detroit become human where you can you know they are narrated like a movie and you can influence uh, the story and we thought it's like a great concept and uh, we both me and Michael uh, really love it and so we decided we could try something similar and uh, since i'm sound designer i was thinking okay so let's try to it you know just in sound because uh, you know it's obviously much easier to do and much cheaper and also it's maybe interesting whether people will like uh, like it so we try it are there blind people involved in the company at all actually no it's just basically like the core team it's me and michael and our uh, scriptwriter vladia uh, but we uh, when we are developing the czech version we were consulting in here with blind community for some advices regarding how you know the game should be controlled and so on so we cooperated with them so did you go about designing this game with the blind community in mind you know knowing that blind people are obviously going to love playing this game or is the fact that it works so well for blind people just an accident that you wanted to create an audio experience for everybody well the initial idea was to create audio experience for anybody it was like uh, as i mentioned we were like 
thinking whether it could work for for the people almost instantly we were thinking okay since it's just in audio we should do it also for the blind people uh because they probably will like it so uh yeah we then started to cooperate with, with the community and uh Even though it's just in audio, we had to make some slight changes, for example, in some gameplay things and uh, make it accessible for the blind people. So that was the things we were consulting and trying you know, to get the best experience for everyone. And it's really good when the game loads. I'm presuming it's detecting that voiceover or talkback might be running and it tells you what to do to get the full experience because it's obviously as a game like this, it is self-voicing. So you don't have to have your screen reader running. And the gesture set is very simple. I'm also really impressed with the help that you have built into the game. So if you ever forget what you should be doing to make the story proceed, you're never too far away from help. So it's obviously something you've spent a lot of time on. And now that you have this English version, I must say all of the elements that make this game so playable, the quality voice actors, the sounds, the way you're immersed in the experience, I just marvel at these. It it must take so much care and time to build these properly. Yeah, it's uh, quite. <laughs> it was quite time consuming. Uh, I have to admit, but uh, sound designer. So it's my kind of my profession. And uh, when I'm working on a movie, I want to sound it as best as it could. So that was the same approach we did with the game. And also, that might be the reason also why it differs slightly from other games because uh, the film background is slightly different, and we wanted really like to be it as a film without a picture. So yeah. Obviously, people can look this up in the App Store or Google Play, but can you give us a description of the game? What's it about? Maybe in one word, it's about guilt. But uh, if I describe the story more precisely or in more detail, it's about a chief inspector that is blackmailed by an anonymous scholar, and he's threatening to uh, light up some information from her past. And uh, she has to bring evidence number 111 to an old hotel where she meets uh, other guests. And also there's this guest file family. And throughout her visit, uh, their son Hugo gets lost and, you know, everything gets slightly messed up in the hotel. So that's a basic plotline here. I must admit, when I first started playing this game, I thought, I wonder if I've done something wrong because it starts off in about 1985, I think, and then it jumps quite some years into the future. And I thought, ah, I wonder whether something I have done here, one of the decisions I've made, caused me to jump forward in time so quickly. But I suppose some of the decisions you take could keep you in that original scene longer. Well, not uh, really the original scene. Um, Actually, the original scene, like the 10 years ago, Mm -hmm. uh, we edited it in the kind of very last part of the development because we are thinking, oh, we need some kind of you know introduction for the story and also like tutorial for the players. So this uh, Vladia, the scriptwriter, uh, was thinking like, okay, so let's do it like prequel in the beginning. So it's uh, really just kind of introduction of the story. So you know to get you inside it and to you know, get to know the controls and so on. And to what extent do the decisions that I make once I get to the main part of that story, where you get the the phone call and she phones into the radio station, that kind of stuff, how much variation is there depending on the decisions that I make? For example, whether she picks up the phone, does it radically change the story at any point? It depends. Some of them are have greater impact. Some of them have smaller. Definitely, most of the decisions give you some part slightly different for example if you choose to talk to one character then you cannot uh, talk to another one and uh, then you know 
for example, don't know uh, his background story and so on. But we wanted for the decisions to matter, so we kind of are tracking all the choices that player makes throughout the game. And uh, based on these choices, uh, you can have different uh, outcomes in the end. So it's not like that you can, you know, uh, pick your own ending at, at the moment when you reach it. But for example, if you do wrong decisions throughout the game, you cannot get a good ending in the end and so on. Right. How long will it take to play the game from start to finish, do you think? I think it's around two hours uh, based on the decisions. You know, you, you can skip something, uh, some parts and so on. So it's around two hours. It's available in Google Play and the iOS App Store. What's the pricing for the game? The price is four ninety nine US dollars, but we wanted to, you know, that everyone can try it because uh, when we started with the Czech version, we were thinking, okay, so we put this game on the store, and you know, someone downloads all, downloads it for money, and then he realized that there is no picture. And it really, that happened that after we released the game here in Czech Republic, we got many like reviews that said. Oh my God, it's scrappy. It doesn't work. There's no picture. So uh, that's the reason why we decided that we uh, are giving few uh, free demo version. I think it's like first 20 minutes and then you can decide whether to buy full game or not. Presumably you do find sighted people who get it. That I mean, it's cl- very clear in the description. I mean, who reads the description before they download, right? <laughs> but I mean, it's very clear that this is an audio game. Do you find that there are sighted people who get it, who understand that it's kind of what we used to many, many years ago call the theater of the mind? And in the intro, you actually say, close your eyes and enjoy the experience. Do some people get it? Also here in Czech Republic, we did like, uh, because there are really no Czech audio games. So our branding was like the first Czech audio game. And even though uh, people were writing us, uh, why is there's no picture? But also on the other hand, there were people writing us, oh, it's really amazing. I was playing it in the during the night and I uh, exactly closed my eyes and it was really like giving me chills. So uh, yeah. Is this the first of many, do you think? Are you hoping to be able to produce other audio games or might you branch into other more traditional gaming areas? I think we'd like to stick with uh, audio because the audio is what uh, I, I really like, you know, I'm passionate about it. So I think we'll stick with audio games. I'm not sure whether the next game, if there's going to be a uh, next one, will be like the same style as the evidence or we try something different but yeah we'd like to continue and it's just about how uh, it's going to be the reception of of the evidence see that seems like a sensible business decision to me because obviously the blind market is small but it's a hungry market and i'm sure that you must have received a lot of appreciation even already from blind people for another game that we can fully play yeah i think the reception or the reviews we got so far are really positive so i hope that uh, the word's gonna spread and uh, people will like it and uh, we can do more games like this thomas thank you for joining us it's thomas aramis from play by ears who are bringing us evidence number one 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 now i'm going to give you a brief snippet of this game I certainly don't want to spoil it for you, but I do want to give you enough so that you will realize just what a high-quality game this is and what it's like to play. You can get it from the iOS App Store or Google Play. So let's invoke the game. Open Evidence 111. Evidence 111. Direct touch area. Main menu. You'll start a new game by swiping right. To load a game you have previously started, swipe left. By swiping up, you can turn the help for the visually impaired on or off. By swiping down on the screen, you can
can purchase the full game. You can exit the game in the same way you exit any other application on your device. To activate the help, swipe up with two fingers on your screen at any time during the game. I'm going to start a new game now by swiping right. You're about to confirm a new game. To start a new game and rewrite your current story, swipe right on the screen. To return to the main menu, swipe left. To repeat the help, swipe up with two fingers. I'll swipe right. Evidence number 111 is an interactive audio story. You will only see basic controls on your display without any graphics. You can pause the game at any time by swiping two fingers down the screen. By swiping two fingers to the right, you can skip to the next part of the game. And by swiping to the left, you repeat the part of the game you're in right now. By swiping up, you will activate the help that will remind you how to use the controls. Your progress in the game is saved automatically. For the best experience, put on your headphones, close your eyes, and immerse yourself in the mystery of evidence number 111. In certain moments, the story will pause and you will be able to decide how your character, Constable Alice Wells, will act or react. You will confirm your decision by swiping your fingers on the screen. If you want to choose the first option and report to the radio, swipe to the right. If you want to choose the second option and play a joke on the woman on the radio, swipe left. If you want Alice to repeat all the options, swipe up. Shall I report to Judy or play a joke on her? I'm going to swipe right. This is Alice. I can hear you, Judy. Finally, someone's responded. My God, Alice, where are you? What are you doing? I'm at a petrol station about 25 miles out from town. Judy, is something happening? Listen to me carefully. I'm sending Wilson and Bowers over to you. I need you guys to close the road down and check everyone that tries to go into town, understand? If anyone tries to drive through, you will stop them no matter what. Do you understand what I'm saying? Some of your decisions result directly from the situation that you have just heard. These are usually the moments when other characters require a clear yes or no answer from you. Swipe your finger to the right if yes, you understand what Judy is asking from you, or if the answer is no, you do not understand the instructions and would like Judy to repeat them, swipe to the left. The positions of yes to the right and no to the left remain the same throughout the whole game. Do I understand what Judy wants? Now, when you get a question like that, the phone vibrates. So that's another jog, if you will, that there's a prompt here that you have to respond to. This time, I'm going to swipe left for no. Sorry, I didn't hear you well. What is it that you wanted? You close the road down and stop everyone who comes near. Nobody can go into town. Do you copy? Yes, Judy, copy that. Alice, this is really important. Am I saying it's not? Then repeat what I want from you. Am I a child or something? Alice! In certain situations, Alice will be able to choose from three options. In such cases, you will pick the third option by swiping down the screen. The positions of the first and second options remain unchanged. Shall I repeat the orders to Judy or not answer at all? Or maybe I should ask what's going on. 
I am going to swipe left. So repeat the orders. Alice. I wonder what's happened. In Farnham. Nothing really happens here. That must have been the one I'm supposed to stop. I can't let him get away. Now you know everything you need to uncover the mystery of evidence number 111. However, be cautious about your decisions. How the story unfolds is solely up to you. I need to go after him. Damn, they're fast. What kind of a car is that? I can't keep up with him. Shall I call for backup or try to catch him alone? I don't think there's time, so let's try to catch him alone. I'll swipe left. I can't do two things at once. Otherwise, he'll get away. I'm on my own. How is he driving so fast? I can't catch him in this piece of garbage. I can barely see him. What the hell? And that is evidence number 111. It is available in the App Store now and also in Google Play now. That's the prequel bit. And then it jumps to the main part of the game, which is set 10 years later. Congratulations to Play by Ears for this. And I hope you enjoy playing the game over your holiday break. Transcripts of Mosin at Large are brought to you by Numa Solutions, a global leader in accessible cloud technologies. On the web at numasolutions.com. That's P-N-E-U-M-A solutions.com. Hello, Jonathan. The conversation with you and Bonnie made me think because she mentioned Turkey. When she mentioned Turkey, I experienced a flashback. No, it was a drug-free flashback, but a flashback nonetheless. When I moved to Oregon, I went with family members to a snowmobile function. All the snowmobiles got together. It was sort of a potluck, and they did, wait for it now, deep fried turkey. And you have to use a lot of peanut oil, and it's just very, very oil-rich. And I wouldn't want to do this at home because you have to use gallons of oil for the process when you're doing a deep-fried turkey for a large function. But it is so good. You think fried chicken is good? Well, deep-fried turkey is to die for. Well, when you consider that oil is used... <laughs> it probably is to die for in more ways than one, but it is just great tasting. And I have to tell you, snowmobiling is not fun. I don't care what people say. I did not. I rode on the back of a snowmobile and uh, with the wearing a helmet, but man, I did not like that experience. It felt to me like riding a bike in snow. And I don't want to do that. Jonathan and every one of you guys at Mosin at Large, very, very good evening, morning, whatever you guys are tuned in. Gera, Gerardo here from Tampico in northeastern Mexico, having gone through several court fronts in a row during these past weeks and days, thus have had the opportunity to immerse myself in audio-described series like La Reina del Sur or, for example, Designated Survivor and other interesting series as well as on Prime Video like Picard 
which brings me to comment on your interview with Joel Schneider in episode 204. Very, very well done. Very, I really like the, the history, the historic, you know, background. I never imagined that, that it would be from the 70s and 80s. The first access I ever had to audio description was in the 90s. I think it was in 1990. There was a magazine in Braille by the name of DBS Guide. This was when we used to live in the States. And in that magazine, apart from articles about what was happening within WGBH and the new DBS movies and shows and the like, you had a TV guide sort of like where you would have all of the stations listed by by state and city and you would see if your local station had DBS within it. So that's how I came into contact. The very, very first DBS movie I watched was Star Trek V The Final Frontier. That movie really, really made me aware of how enriching audio description makes the TV be movie silly. You guys remember a scene in the movie where Picard, McCoy, and Spock were in Yosemite National Park, right? After, after Kirk almost fell off a rock ledge. And well, when I first watched the movie without description, I was almost sure that they were on some kind of a, of a conference room in the Enterprise, you know? So, okay, I thought then what would happen next, you know? But when I watched it with, with DBS, Surprise, surprise, I, I was able to make more sense of the storyline itself because, okay, they were in Yosemite rock climbing and then that scene changed to when they were around the campfire and so on and so on and so on. The same thing happened to me with other movies like Jumanji, for example, that I watched in, in, in a movie theater. And when, you know, when I had the opportunity to watch it with DBS, was it with DBS? I think it was out of the UK. I don't, I don't know that they described it in WGBH, but when I watched that one with description, what a change. I was able to get more into the flow of the movie. That makes sense. The same thing happened to me with Old Yeller. For example, even though I was able to follow it without description, but when I watched it, and this was with WGBH, like, like with ET, and Star Wars, Star Wars 4, how can I forget that movie? Especially movies that have lots of, of pauses that don't have dialogue. One is able to make much more sense and get into the movie or series with description. And then, of course, you have Netflix, which the joy of that I felt in 2017 when I got Netflix on January of 2017. And I was able to watch, you know, like, like everyone else series like designated survivor or the troll the something about the, the trolls i don't remember trolls and some other series but here is a catch with audio description that i would like to bring up here with you guys you guys know how netflix for example has the audio description track only in english or in spanish depending where the series or the movie was done right or in the case of, you guys remember the Netflix series, The Squid Games, The Squid Games. Well, that one does have audio description, but it's only in the native language, Korean. So how in the world am I going to understand in Korean audio description, right? So what it would be neat if Netflix could accomplish like Disney Plus or, or Apple TV Plus already do 
to offer the audio description track not only in the original language but in other languages in which the movie can be translated English, Spanish, for example. You know, so yeah, that's a catch with audio description. So, so bravo for, for Disney Plus and for Apple TV Plus for all that you are doing. And hopefully next Netflix will be able to get onto that bandwagon. That will make audio description even more accessible to the blind throughout the world. Don't you guys agree? So thanks again for all that you provide to us in the show. I always learn something new. So what will you guys continue to watch with audio description? Well, I'm hoping on my summer break to watch a lot of audio described content. I think that they did fix Squid Games, didn't they? I haven't watched that, but I think eventually we did get English audio description. The angels are singing. There are celebrations because we've got another first time contributor and it is Edgar. And Edgar says, good afternoon. I am a first time contributor, but a long time follower and listener of your content. It's really good to hear from you, Edgar. Welcome. My question is to the community at large. I am a totally blind JAWS user and I am trying to learn how to type using the Dvorak keyboard layout. Are there any accessible keyboard typing drills to teach the Dvorak keyboard layout? What comes to mind is something like the old APH typing drills that used to come on audio cassettes back in the day. I purchased Typeability, thinking it may provide assistance in that regard, but to no avail. Any assistance from the community would be greatly appreciated. Thanks in advance to everyone who provides suggestions or advice. That's a good song from a great New Zealand band. Straight old line from Split Ends and it seemed appropriate because... Hi, Jonathan. Peter from Melbourne. On a recent podcast, the issue of crossing a road in a straight line while using a mobility cane was mentioned. I have a little vision, just enough to see the white line, but several blind people I know have mentioned this problem. I contacted Seeing AI and they have put the problem to their design team. In the meantime, I have been trying the compass on my iPhone. If you say open compass and hold the phone flat in front of you, it will say the degrees from magnetic north. If the traffic is noisy, best to have ear devices of some type to hear clearly. This is not ideal because you have to hold the phone still and flat. Another solution is to call Be My Eyes and have a volunteer talk you across. Whoa, thanks, Peter. I guess people's risk quotient will vary, but I do feel compelled to say I would not trust a volunteer at random on the internet to help me cross a street. I mean, you never know where people are picking up from. And that's not to say that Be My Eyes isn't a great app. It is, and people are very helpful. But there could be all sorts of distractions going on. And also, it's just the randomness of getting a volunteer anywhere, whether it's on the internet or not. You can ask somebody for directions or assistance. And depending on who you get, it's like, oh, it's that way. Well, what way is that way? You know, and they're pointing and they don't realize. So, you know, there's no training with Be My Eyes volunteers. So you may get somebody who's absolutely fantastic. You may get the complete opposite. But the Compass app's interesting, and the Compass app is also on the Apple Watch as well. So that's something that people may like to comment on further. Jonathan Mosin. Chestnuts roasting on a... Mosin at Large Podcast. Hello, Jonathan and others. 
On a previous episode, you raised the whole issue of using Microsoft Teams. I use it at work. Um, For the most part, I don't have a huge issue uh, with using Teams. The one thing that I believe that Microsoft need to improve is the hotkeys do not always work. My own experience is that, for example, Control 2 will not get you to your list of chats always, even if you are in a chat. If Microsoft could get this part of the interface working consistently, the Teams experience would be a lot pleasanter for everyone. I do find that Teams on iOS does actually work consistently with VoiceOver. Absolutely. I agree with you on all counts, Christopher. There are some apps where you just have to decide which platform is most efficient to use that app on. For me, with Teams, it's definitely iOS. The iOS Teams experience is so much better and so much more reliable than the Windows Teams experience is. I certainly concur with you about the problem with the shortcut keys not always working, and I can whack that control four, for example, to try and get into my calendar to navigate to my next appointment, and it just does not work sometimes, and you have to quit the app and restart the app and face north and you know, pray to Bill Gates or whoever's in charge these days. It's not Bill Gates, is it? And maybe it'll work. It's very frustrating. But the other thing about Microsoft Teams as well is just how chatty it is. And I think that's the reference that I was making in my comments that I last made about Teams, that you've got people who somehow think that all this verbosity is necessary when, in fact, if you're just trying to be productive on the job, less is sometimes more. Vivian says, in regards to accessible newspapers, I wanted to mention podcasts. The Economist offers a free podcast, which includes three free articles per week, read out by a real human. I'm actually quite a fan of The Economist. I don't necessarily agree with all of their politics, but I like their reasoning, and I also enjoy being exposed to different points of view. Very good read, The Old Economist. Lots of articles on interesting subjects from politics to science and technology to interesting books. Vivian says, I would assume that there are many other newspapers that offer free podcasts that are worth considering. Yes, of course, the New York Times has their very popular thing, The Detail, don't they? And The Guardian also have some podcasts, including The Guardian Audio Long Read, which is an article from The Guardian. Vivian says, I know the Harvard Business Review also does. Yes, I listen to one called IdeaCast every week, and it's really good. So a very good thought, Vivian. I appreciate you sharing that. Luis Pena is writing in. He says, hi, Jonathan, I am about to get an iPhone 14 Pro. I would like to do a clean install because I have some apps that are not working correctly. Could you please advise me of how to do a clean install? and how to preserve my information, such as passwords, contacts, pictures, and so on. I do have two terabytes of storage in iCloud. Well, Louise, the one thing I would say to begin with is that the longer you've been using an iPhone, the more hassle this process actually is. And so I think it would be important to establish whether the hassle is worth the benefit. I went through this recently myself and concluded that the hassle was not worth the benefit. 
apps are sandboxed. And that means that if you are finding an app is being problematic, you may be better uninstalling and reinstalling that app to see if that fixes the problem rather than taking the nuclear option of starting afresh with the whole phone. People do criticize iOS for its sandbox approach, but typically if you uninstall an iOS app, you really have uninstalled it. You've gotten rid of it. And so reinstalling, starting again, may well be sufficient to fix the problem. If that is not sufficient to fix the problem with a specific app, then I think the chances of a reinstall from scratch of the whole operating system fixing the app is actually quite remote indeed. Anyway, that said, if you want to go ahead, it's really critical to make sure that iCloud is working correctly and that your messages, your contacts, your passwords are all being backed up somewhere. Now, the default way to back up passwords is to use iCloud Keychain. I don't use iCloud Keychain because until fairly recently, there wasn't a Windows option for getting at your passwords in iCloud. I've not tried that new feature, so I don't know how accessible it is. But that's one of the reasons why I use 1Password, because I have an iPhone, but I don't use a Mac. I use a Windows PC. So it's important that all my passwords are available on all those devices, and 1Password does a very good job of that. I've covered 1Password before. But if you are using iCloud Keychain on your phone, then all should be well. The password should be in iCloud Keychain when you switch iCloud on by signing in on a new device it will bring down your iMessages assuming that that is enabled in iCloud and it will also bring your contacts down as well you would then go into the app store and look at your list of purchases sometimes I purchase an app or download a free app and I don't like it I delete it so it can take some time I've got many many hundreds of apps some of which I have on my phone some of which I don't and you would go through and you would choose to reinstall those apps that you want on your phone and obviously where sign in is appropriate or necessary you would need to go into each app and sign in it will take a very long time if you've been an iPhone user for a while and you have a lot of apps but those are the basics of how to get it done. You will also, of course, if you're starting from scratch, have to customize your phone the way you want. You will need to set up email accounts again. You will need to go through all your voiceover settings and have voiceover look and feel the way that you want. All the little options that make your phone yours, you will have to set those up from scratch again. So it is not for the faint of heart. To that end, I would recommend that if you're going to do this, before you do, make sure you have a fully encrypted iTunes backup so that if you get to a certain point of this process and you decide, oh boy, this is just too much hassle, you've got that fully encrypted iTunes backup sitting there ready to restore your phone to the way that you like it. And I suspect that you may get to that point. But good luck. And if you go down this route, I would be interested to know if you found that there were benefits in doing it. Here's an email from Frank Welt, which reads, Hello, Jonathan, in response to Kim's submission to episode 210, there is an organization for people who have low vision. It's the Council of Citizens with Low Vision International, CCLVI, which is a special interest affiliate of the American Council of the Blind. You can visit their website at www.cclvi.org. If you are someone who doesn't quite feel at home in the sighted world 
or in the blind world, you may find that CCLVI is the right place for you. Thank you, Frank. I should have mentioned that, shouldn't I? Since I have sat through many ACB roll calls and other events where CCLVI has popped up. So I appreciate you popping up to head Kim in that direction, should she wish to go there. Mosin at Large Podcast. Andrew Leland is writing in and says, Dear Jonathan, in response to your listener's query about using the international phonetic alphabet with Braille with an uppercase B and screen readers, I wanted to share this robust resource page produced by Dr. Robert Engelbretson. And there is a nice long link here, so I shall include that in the show notes in hopes that it helps Haya and any others who are interested in this subject. Thank you for sending that in, Andrew. Hey, Jonathan, this is Chad. From Fort Wayne, Indiana, and you've probably noticed right away, and maybe others uh, will too, uh, sound quality improvements in my voice memo. I upgraded to an iPhone 14 some time ago, and I'm actually just last week, what am I saying, some time ago. I'm very, very happy with it. You were talking about the incident with that hotel that didn't want you in there because you had a guide dog. I don't have a guide dog story, but I do have another one. This was a lesson for me that I could and should stand up for myself. As long as, you know, I do it the right way. And I was not afraid to play the business card. One uh, particular health club in town, that was only like 19 bucks a month. I wanted to become a member of it. And the guy who was there, the one of the managers talked to me and, you know, he gave me the usual, we're afraid, what if you fall, a safety risk? What if you, you know, hurt yourself, this, that, this, that. And he kept saying, you need a guardian. That was the word he kept using was guardian, which not only tells, you know, blind people can't take care of themselves, but they need a guard, a protector. <laughs> no, I don't. This was like 2009, 2010. I was like 36, 37 years old. No, I don't need a protector, a guardian, anything like that. So we went back and forth and I eventually left and did not go back there. And I don't think that club even exists anymore. Well, the why. The YMCA tried to do that to me some months later. And they wanted like 40 bucks a month. And I was willing to even pay that, not even ask for any uh, blindness or disability or income-related discounts, anything like that. I was willing to pay it. But this guy, too, he was polite. He didn't use words like guardian, but he just kept insisting, you really need to bring someone with you. We're afraid of, you know, a safety risk. Which, to an extent, I understand. But... I said, look, here's the deal. I've had a friend tell me that there is another club in town that is more expensive than you are. They will accept me and let me be independent. And I'm willing to pay full price. And that other place charges like 50 bucks a month. So not only do you not get your 40, you don't get their 50. That's $90 a month in total loss just from you not letting me be independent and therefore not having me as a customer. Is that how you do business? And that's about how I did it. I was polite. I was kind. I didn't yell and scream or slam my fist or anything like that. I was, I was, I wanted to be kind about it, but I was very firm. And, um, I had some friends with me and we got to talk and, 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 uh, a few minutes later after he talked to some, I think he talked to a person there and, he eventually said to me, hey, thanks for, your, thanks for your perspective. And he even said, thanks for getting in my face. 
I said, I wasn't trying to get in your face. I don't want to do that. But I just, I want to be independent and there's no reason I can't be. I can learn this place. I have a little bit of vision. I can learn this place. So <clears throat> anyway, we left and about a half hour later, I get a phone call from him. Hey, we'd love to have you. And I was only there for a year. But the point is, I want to be independent. I've had other places too. Uh, the uh, security at uh, one of the malls here in town, they have a phone number. And I started, one day I called them to see if I could get, you know, escorted around a, uh, a couple of times just to a store or whatever else. But I didn't want, you know, they, they didn't have to go with me in where I wanted to go. I just wanted to get from place to place. Finally, I had somebody to say to me, can't you bring a friend with you? You know, we're busy. We got other things to do. And uh, I told one of the uh, escorts what the person said. And I said, you know, as far as I'm concerned, that's your job, your security. That's exactly what you're supposed to do. And, uh, you know, that's like associates at, at uh, your your stores, your grocery stores and other of those. Customer service, helping people. That's what you're supposed to do. And thankfully, I've had little to any. The only thing that I've had some people ask me to do is to at least call them in advance. Um, to let me know they're coming so they can get someone ready for me, which to an extent I don't mind doing, but you know, I don't always know when I want to shop or that kind of a thing. And I don't want to be, you know, tied down to that commitment either. So, and I don't mind waiting for a while if it, if that's what it takes, but I think we need to give and take a little bit on kind of things like that. You know, if we can make it easier for associates to, you know, be ready for us, that kind of thing, that, that, that's not necessarily a bad thing. But as far as getting escorted, like place to place, whatever else, I believe that's their job, whether it's security, uh, whether it's any you know, customer service, anything like that. But also, if people like us want to be independent, we shouldn't have to bring someone with us all the time. And I frankly don't want to. Thank you, Chad. I have said many times in my life that the biggest problem of blindness is other people's perceptions. And I truly believe it. That is what holds us back the most. And what can also hold us back is if we internalize those perceptions. And on that note, I will leave you for 2022 for the Mosin at Large podcast. I'd like to wish you and yours happy holidays, no matter what or how you are celebrating. Stay safe, be rested, and thank you for all your contributions, which you are welcome to keep sending in over the break. Because if you don't, I will be back on the 29th of January with nothing to play. So whenever something comes on your mind, takes your fancy, you think, oh, I'd like to share that on Mosin at Large, do be in touch. We'll stack them up and play them when we're back on the 29th of January. Take care and thank you. I love to hear from you, so if you have any comments you want to contribute to the show, drop me an email written down or with an audio attachment to Jonathan, J-O-N-A-T-H-A-N at mushroomfm.com. If you'd rather call in, use the listener line number in the United States, 864-606-6736. Mosin-A.